Hey friends, Kevin Garcia here from A Tiny Revolution, and I want to take a second to invite you to the 2024 Q Christian Fellowship National Conference happening January 11th through the 14th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is QCF's 20th conference, and I have been to, I think, I think six of them, six of the 20, and it just keeps getting better and better every year. But what is the conference? The Q Christian Fellowship Conference is an annual gathering where LGBTQ plus Christians, parents and allies alike gather for worship, fellowship, workshops, keynote speakers, and at the same time, making some lifelong friends, reunite with those friends that you haven't seen in a million billion years and have an incredible healing, transformative, hope-filled experience. It's a place where you can really witness the fullness of God's love and affirmation through one another. Um, and this year, some of the keynotes include my best friend in the whole world, Miles Markham, my good Judy, Kathy Baldock, my literally mother, Flamey Grant, Matthias Roberts, my best friend in the whole freaking world, like, and yours truly, Kevin Garcia, that's me. I'm going to be doing a live workshop on What Makes You Bloom, my new book coming out the same week as the conference. And I'm also going to be doing a live podcast of A Tiny Revolution there, where I'm going to be interviewing both Matthias and miles about uh, queer friendship, among other wonderful things. So go ahead and get to qcfconf.org. That's qcfconf.org. And use the offer code TINYREVOLUTION to save 10% on your conference registration. I can't wait to see you there. Again, go to qcfconf.org today. Use offer code TINYREVOLUTION, all one word, to get 10% off your conference registration. I love you. And I cannot wait to see you this year at the 20th annual Q Christian Fellowship National Conference conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico, January 11th to the 14th. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. It's your girl, Kevin Garcia. And once again, I am here. I am still queer and I'm so excited to be bringing you another episode. Today is another one of those episodes that I interviewed the person months and months and months ago and couldn't get the podcast out for depression reasons. Um, eventually I'll stop saying that because we'll have fresh episodes, <laughs> but I'm not super worried. Before we get into that, I want to just give my usual plugs and whatnot. First of all, if you have not ordered my book, my suite, what are you doing? Go to thekevingarcia.com slash bloom right now and order a copy of my new book. And uh, if it's going to be autographed and if you order it from me, I might even ship it out before the New Year's because um, Glamazon has been shipping out um, books to people all over the place. I think also bookshop.org has been doing that a little bit too. I'm planning on doing that. As soon as I get back from Christmas, I'm going to be getting those orders out to you. And on top of that, if you haven't read my first book, Bad Theology Kills, I'm going to be putting it on special this week. So you can get uh, maybe a two for one deal, a twofer. So if you haven't read the first one, this is a great opportunity to get it. So yeah, the book is out in 22 days. Please go pre-order it. It would truly mean the world to me. And if you haven't already joined the Crowded Table broadcast channel on Instagram, it's going to be a place where I'm sharing new content and new things like that. The other thing, if you want to join like the actual like get involved with the community aspect of it, you should come hang out with us at The Crowded Table on Patreon. Patreon is a really, really, really cool place to support the people in your life who are making the content that matters. And if I'm one of the people who makes the content that matters to you, if you join by the end of the month, I'll actually just send you my book for free. So 
sounds like a good deal to me. Um, but I'm just somebody trying to hustle out here, trying to be a, <laughs> trying to be an internet creative. And seriously, any any type of help seriously is wonderful and appreciated and welcome. I love you. And now I want to get into the show. Today's guest is R. Scott Okamoto, a writer, musician, podcaster, and author of the book Asian American Apostate. A fourth generation Japanese American, he holds an MA in writing, and much of his professional life involved teaching university level English. He is the host of a series based podcast called Chapel Probation from Dauntless Media Collective. And Okamoto is a avid fisher, Gen X guitar player, poet, participant in the Asian American artist community in Southern California, where he lives with his wife and three kids. And today we are talking about the journey of Asian American apostate, how he went from being somebody who was just, you know, casually like being, you know, a Christian to somebody who was then tokenized to somebody who was then, you know, as the author's book states, become a full-blown apostate. So grab yourself something to drink. I'm currently drinking iced coffee in the middle of winter because I'm gay. <laughs> and enjoy this conversation with my internet human friend, R. Scott Okamoto. Oh my gosh. Mercury retrograde. Yeah, it's a thing, She's huh? here. She's, <laughs> I, uh, you know, as much as I am somebody who loves to lean into empirical data and whatnot, all I got to say is during Mercury retrograde, I'm given every opportunity to lean into my spiritual <laughs> practice to access peace because God damn. <laughs> <sighs> Anyways. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the pod. So glad you're here. It's an honor to be here. Um, I've listened to you and all the irreverent folks for a long time. So it's, yeah, it's great. Great to be here. I'm really, really glad. You are you're on the book tour train talking about your new book, Asian American Apostate, which also like what a cool cover. <laughs> like, just like gorgeous. Before we get into the book, can you please tell me, like, how do you introduce yourself to people when you're talking to them? Well, I'll just say I'm Scott. I'm a former English professor at a kind of a shady little evangelical school. Sometimes I'll say I'm um, ex-Christian or ex-evangelical or deconstructed, you mm -hmm. know, all that stuff. Musician, play a lot of music with friends and different groups and bands. Yeah, it's just fourth generation Japanese American. I'm a dad, got mostly older kids, which is depressing. Is it? Uh, well, it's only because it means I'm getting older, even though I'm... Not going gentle into that good night, but yeah, my kids are going to pass. They've passed me in height and they're probably going to pass me in, in like emotional development and growth. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, but it's, I guess that, that's the hope in some ways, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I want them to just, just blow past me because damn, you know, <laughs> hanging on to shreds of youth, dignity, self-respect, yeah. you know. I mean, I feel like I'm... I'm only 33 right now, but just like, I can't wait till I'm, I'm hit, when I hit 50, I'm going to be so like, I'm going to be in my prime. I'm going to be well seasoned. Like I'm already like, I'm, the dish already tastes great. You yeah. know? So I'm just like, same thing with you. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're dope, you're dope. <laughs> like that's the thing. You can be any age and be a dope ass person, you know? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, your best years are ahead of you. Cause uh, I got to say 35 to 45 golden. It's just, and it's still good oh. now. I'm, I'm, I'm 53 now, but it's just the, 
the body starts to, to break down a little bit. I can't see too good. <laughs> um, but, but, but the, the, the perspective and the, the zest for life. Yeah. That's it's, it's awesome. It's great. Mm, I, I like you already. <laughs> You're so chill. So let's, let's pivot. Let's talk about the book. Let's talk, you know, about the thing we're always talking about on here and like pulling apart the faith and trying to find our way forward. Why did you write Asian American apostate? Yeah. So I, I was teaching at Azusa Pacific University out here in California. APU! Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Shout out to all the APU listeners out there. Are there APU listeners? Are they really? <laughs> There's a we have a lot of like former oh, APU okay. students well, who everyone. are a part of the of the community. Yeah, some of, I might know some of them. Then uh, I was there for 15 years. I started teaching there in like '98, and I was still I still called myself a Christian, and I still I still claimed the faith, hanging on by a thread. But you know, I, I thought I'd I got hired to teach, and I thought. I'll stay here a couple of years and then go teach at a community college or something. Cause I, I was teaching at a couple of community colleges. I was a freeway flyer and uh, didn't really see myself teaching at a Christian school, even though I, I was a Christian. Cause my whole, my whole like youth and early adult who was like, wow, if you're a Christian, you need to be out in the real world and not, not, you know, cloistered together with, with other Christians necessarily. But I really felt, had a heart for yeah. these kids who reminded me of me when I was a kid when I was in college, you know, I went to a big secular state school, but their questions and their sincerity and, and just their hope for the future and, and their questions about faith and, and life, you know, it got to me. So I stuck around and I, I, I got promoted and suddenly I'm having this huge crisis of faith where, you know, like it was like the second Bush election, it, it, the Christians were taking over, Fox News was on the rise. And I was like, man, I'm for right. sure done with evangelical culture. I, I want nothing to do with that. And then I started realizing, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. <laughs> it was a real thing. And then it was that year they gave me a full-time job. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so oh, God. You can't, you can't fake this right? shit. And then I, I, was, I actually got hired. I applied to and got hired at USC, which is a great, you know, not a great, but, you know, it's a school. And... Um, they would have paid more, but it was part-time. And so I had a huge decision to make. Do I just pivot completely and go teach at USC or stick it out at, at APU? Because I really felt like, even though I was having a crisis of faith, my students constantly told me that their faith was strengthened by taking my class because I was talking about compassion. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I'm trying to teach, you know, I'm teaching English. It's an accredited school. So 99% of, of the stuff in the class is English, you know, uh, writing, literature, that stuff. But, you know, the school as a Christian school wants you to do faith integration. And so I did that. And I, and I pushed a, a kind of faith that's, you know, post-colonial <laughs> liberation theology. Mm -hmm. And it's still under the umbrella of their faith. They, the school didn't like it, but they couldn't say anything because they don't have a faith uh, statement. They don't. They don't have, you know, policies as to what kind mm -hmm. of faith uh, other than, you know, whatever follows, falls under the evangelical umbrella. So I felt good about what I was doing. I was never proselytizing them away from faith. I was never pushing, you know, any kind mm -hmm. of doubt into them other than the doubt in, you know, we all grow up with, you know, false assumptions about what the Bible says or what it doesn't say. And I was mm -hmm. pointing that out, but, you know, they were going to learn that in their Bible classes anyway. So 
I don't think I had and I caused anyone to have like a huge crisis of faith. I mean, it was a few. I actually write about it in the book, but I didn't mean mm-hmm. to. There was a kind of like accidentally, oops, I, I brought this up from the Bible and the kid didn't think it was in there. And um, But yeah, I felt good about what I was doing. And there was a, there was a new Asian club, Asian uh, Pacific American student something that I helped start. And, you know, it's tough being BIPOC in these white spaces. And these kids were, yeah, these kids okay. needed, you know, th- there were no faculty that were helping any of them. And so I was working with that and an underground secret illegal LGBTQIA club started up. Yay, the secret gay clubs of Azusa. Yeah. I heard of it. Yeah, them. it was at first it was called the GSA, Gay Straight Alliance, because it was like half straight kids and half, half queer kids. And I had made it known in my classes that I was quietly affirming, you know, it was like, so kids were always coming out to me and talking about their struggle with faith, with their identity, with their sexuality, and or talking oh, about how yeah. their parents disown them or, the, you know, that their friends don't talk to them anymore. And so we started this underground thing and we kept it very secret because we knew we could all be kicked out of the school if the school found out we were even meeting to talk about it. And um, mm-hmm. so my heart was really like broken by all the, the kids who needed support. So in addition to enjoying teaching English, you know, I was really involved with those two groups. Um, in addition to all the other multi-ethnic programs, you know, all the, the Black Student Association, a new uh, group started mm-hmm. called LASA, Latin American Student. So we fomented a few like minor revolutions and um, sort of built these communities based on the marginalized folks. And we had a lot of white allies too. And it was a beautiful thing. And so all in all, it was a good time until, until I, you know, I was in trouble every semester for something I said, something <laughs> I did. Um, nice. Whether it was talking about the etymology of the word shit. Oh, can I say shit on here? Is like, can we, I can. Oh, you can say no. any cussing words on here, okay, please. Just making sure. Like, just, you should hear some of the shit I say. Come I on have. Now. So I just, but I just want to make sure. Just, uh, yeah. Oh, anyway, anyway. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't like you um, even like intellectually or academically talking about bad words, you know, at that school. So <laughs> kids called their parents on me. And um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And so I'm going to call my parent who yeah. is. And they're going to call the school. Donor, and then, yeah, no, it happened all the time. Or if I brought up racism or, or, or social justice, I got in trouble, you know, for being divisive. Um, and then, of course, when the gay issue came up, man, woof, that was some, I got in a lot of trouble for mm-hmm. that. So, you know, after all this time, I started writing down because <laughs> I kept having these days where I was like, man, that was some crazy shit that happened today. Like, I can't believe these people were saying this. And I started writing down stuff that I thought would just be fun stories to tell my friends in a bar someday, which I did. But um, people were like, you should, you should write a book. Cause this, this is nuts. This is what, what world are you working That's in? Some crazy shit. Right. And so I started writing it down and um, but, cause I thought in my mind, well, I've got a good thing going here. I, I'm not evangelical. I'm probably not even a Christian, but I feel like I'm serving a need. You know, there's kids thanking me, you know, every week for, for being there for them. And I thought, well, could I carve a career out of this <laughs> along? Cause the school kept telling me, you know, they had no yes. diversity in the, in the very little diversity in the faculty. And they really wanted me to stay. I was getting good, good student reviews, which is like the paying customers giving you a good five-star review. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I always thought, yeah, yeah. can have a reason to leave. 
Yeah, I mean, it was painful. There were days where <laughs> there were days, which yeah. I talk about in the book. But yeah, but it became very clear the LGBTQIA issue was a bridge too far. You know, they could they could look the other way if I was talking about social justice or or racism, but not that. And so I I got demoted back to part time, and Damn. and that was when I was like, okay, I, I this is not gonna last. So <laughs> I started writing a book. First, it was like an angry, you know, take the school down book. And there's still some of that in there. But versions two, three, and I guess four, it, it became more of a story of hope and, and identity building. It, even as I was losing this identity, I was, I was developing as a human being in community with BIPOC folks and um, queer folks and, and all kinds of people that were out completely out, apart from uh, evangelical culture. Mm-hmm. And so... So the, you mentioned the cover. That was a fu- funny one because the designer, we had all these mock-ups of, you know, you, you go on Amazon, you look at all the different books. Oh, those are cool looking books. You know, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. But then the very last one he showed us was like, it's a mock, it's kind of a trolling the Bible. It looks like a Gideon Bible. <laughs> I know. That's what I love about it is it looks like I'm picking it up. And it was like, you know, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm expecting to say Asian American Bible and there's yeah. various like apostate. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yes. It just, I immediately laughed. And when I saw that and I was like, I think that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's been a long journey. You know, I, I quit in 2013, um, went through life, uh, you know, trying to do, you know, be a parent and, and, life partner for my wife and and we survived can she survived cancer back in 2015 that was kind of a speed bump on the way and i feel like the book is my contribution to the conversations that you have here on this podcast and and in yeah in all the other ones with in under under irreverent and, and all the others it's like we're trying to show the world that well a couple things <laughs> there's some insidious shit happening in evangelical culture which gave us things like trump and the tea party and stuff like that and QAnon. Right. um but also there's beauty, community, love, thriving outside of faith that, you know, we were told that it was just a wasteland out there, that we're all going to be rapers and pillagers and, and gnashing right? of teeth. Yeah. And if this is weeping and gnashing of teeth, then sign me up because this is fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> life is so yeah, much it's, better now. It's like weeping. It's like, what am I weeping for? Joy. Yeah. These I'm are tears joy, of joy. You know? Yeah. yeah. This is an O face. Yeah, if I'm gnashing my teeth, it's be it's like because uh, I have a brain freeze yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because we're eating delicious food with amazing people. Oh and my god! So yeah, it's and that's the thought about that. It's a celebration. I feel like the book in, started out as kind of like <laughs> um, pissed at the school and look at all the racism, homophobia, and misogyny, and and you know bigotry. To well, that is what it is. But life outside mm-hmm. is so much better. So, you know, I get to talk to people like right. you. I get to talk you know, Blake Chastain and Chrissy Stroop and like all these people that I've met online, I feel like I have so much of a deeper connection with than I ever did when it was purely based on following rules and, you know, GOP Jesus mm-hmm. and, and um, yeah. Oh, come on, GOP Jesus. <laughs> I think that's like, I mean, can I ask a question for you right now, because I was talking with some, I talk about this with my friends a lot, is the feeling of personal safety. Because, like, I live in the South, and so, like, it's, you know, if I'm more femme-presenting when I go out in public, like, I mean, I've just been harassed more recently. So it's like, and the, but the thing is, like, you can go somewhere like L.A. and still get hate crime. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, do you you know, knowing what we know about evangelicalism, knowing what we know about how the 24, like the 2024 election season is going to go down. 
it's like, I don't know if I want to be here right now. <laughs> like, how do you feel as like, you know, Asian American with a family who's staunchly against the, the stat, the status quo and the, the empire. Yeah. Your point's well taken because you know, people, well, you're, you're in LA, it's liberal there. It's not that liberal. First of all, <laughs> LA is yeah, its own right, thing, right, right. but yeah, you know, Asian hate, you know, I know people, I got I, one of my good friends, her husband got chased by an ax wielding crazy guy because he's Asian, you know, like after the, during the whole pandemic thing, um, you know, we, we get ching chonged, you know, if we go to certain parts, yeah. parts of, uh, LA. So yeah, hate is, is there. It's, you know, it's, I will say one thing good about being in LA is it's not, it's not like a societal overall thing. You know, there's always people who's, who have your back. Um, and I hope you have communities, you know, where you live, where, you know, you know, you have your people to feel safe around. So I think that the safety thing is something we all need to seek regardless of our identity. Well, especially because of our identities, because yeah, there's always going to be people who, who other you who marginalize you and or even seek to do harm to you so yeah it's unfortunately now as far as leave uh, yeah well <laughs> so i'm a fourth generation and my my parents were born in the incarceration camps of world war ii um, their families were put behind barbed Shit. wire and my dad served in the army you know he was very patriotic because they learned they realized you know their very identities got them locked up during World War II. You know, they didn't lock up Italians or Germans. They just locked up the Japanese folks and only on the West Coast. I think there's a part of me that's like you, like, uh, you, well, France looks pretty good. I could learn to speak French or um, Canada. <laughs> really nice people. But um, for me, I feel like, well, my family has sacrificed a lot here. I have, I have relatives, even when they were incarcerated during the war, they signed up to fight Hitler, you know, or even f signed up to fight Japan, you know, their own people for love of this country mm -hmm. and spilt their blood and, you know, did all that. And, and I don't agree with war, <laughs> but I do honor the sacrifice of the people in my family and my community who, who fought to be here. So I'll keep fighting, you know, I'll stay, I'll suffer if I need to. And, and I, and I'm saying this from a place of complete privilege <laughs> based on all the things that have been sacrificed for me to be here. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I, I yeah. don't speak for everyone, but for me, I'll, I'll stay here and fight. Uh, you know, we've sacrificed a lot just to be here. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll fight for you. I'll, you know, and I'll and I'll advocate for for everyone who who feels marginalized or oppressed or unsafe. But you know, I don't know. Ask me tomorrow, yeah. and I be, might be like packing for Canada. You know, so <laughs> yeah. And that and that's the I guess that's the reason I wanted to ask too is because like huh, it's a. Uh... It's just, yeah, it, different perspectives and different feelings and different fears. For sure. Um, but also kind of just same solution, though, which is, I guess, like yeah. trying to get at least 3% of the population organized into nonviolent resistance. Mm. You know, just this, a small thing. Yeah. 3%, that's the magic number. That's the... Uh, that's the yeah. If you look at like um, this, I get this from Andre Henry's All the White yeah. Friends I Could Not Keep. Great book. And there's another book out there that cites the same statistic. Yeah. yeah. But like if you can get 3% of a population engaged in nonviolent resistance, you can make a significant change in a society. Yeah. Hell yeah. I've been recently thinking a lot about like, I don't want to convert all of the evangelicals to my side anymore. Mm. I don't want to waste my time or breath on those people. I want to create space to grow that three, like to, to help that 3% of the population find 
the chutzpah, the, the grounding, the, the spiritual energy yeah. to like, to push for these changes. Cause it, um, cause it's hard to sustain out here. And I think that's like, you know, regardless of like where one lands spiritually, I think having some kind of a daily practice where you like honor the body and get in touch with that sense of well-being is the thing that's missing from a lot of the work that people do. But that's yeah. another conversation no. completely that we could no, go that's, down. Yeah, that's beautifully put. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about for you, like you're in this position of, I don't know if I really believe any of this shit or if I believe in God anymore and I'm still taking on this job. I don't know. how to, like, Tell me how you identify like where do you land now yeah. in the in the faith camp today? <laughs> do you today, land anywhere? Yeah, are you still floating through it? I don't. I don't think I land anymore. Um, nice. I think you know. I've I've been claiming you know agnostic because that's the only term I feel like that just allows for what because I'll, I'll I'll be the first to say I don't know. You know I I know I don't believe what I was raised with for sure, but that's just one thing. There's there's a lot out there to to believe in. Um. So for me, when the Bible kind of disintegrated as far as like how it's contradictory or it's being the word of God to you. Yeah. Yeah. From, from that point for me, it was kind of like, well, could be a lot of things, could be anything. And so I think I've just concerned myself now with community and, you know, to your point about the 3%, you know, like that's change for, for everyone to be thriving and, and, and living and safe is is really my faith right now. And if God is there, if that's, then that's what I believe today, maybe tomorrow. I mean, I'm never going to go back to like my old church. <laughs> I'm never going to go, mm, go, yeah. go volunteer for university Christian fellowship. <laughs> LOL. Who among us? I was a, I was a member of Greek university, like their attempt to like yeah. evangelize the, the, the Greek life students who still had a little yep. bit of like, yep. it was so funny though. It was like, we had a, but like, I was like, I'm standing around the room. I'm just like, I partied with all of these people. <laughs> and also we are going to the party tonight. Like after this meeting, like we're going to, we're about to go get wasted. So like, <laughs> and then we all, none of us talked about it. It was just like this strange. You got wasted for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. the time needed to get wasted for Jesus <laughs> and also recruitment. See, so that's the kind of ministry I might be more interested in, but um, I can't drink that much anymore. See? So that, those days are gone, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. I was thinking about the other day. I'm just like, I used to destroy a whole bottle of wine to myself, yeah. which like I'll still do, but I pay for it now. Yeah. The recovery you know? is a little, little longer, yeah. more painful. Um, yeah. Trying to, a lot more painful. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about like um, in your time at APU, there was like, um, and throughout the, the book, you kind of talk about how there's the seeds of white supremacy get sown yeah. in those kinds of spaces. Tell me about what you mean by that. And like what, like, you know, what, what are the things you saw and what were their results? <laughs> yeah, it's subtle. It was subtle. It's not subtle anymore. Back mm -hmm. when I started, I realized, you know, I had grown up in this space. So I had grown up in a white centered space and I just assumed, you know, I, I knew I was never going to be a head pastor at one of these places. I was never going to be the worship leader at the time. Now they have worship leaders of, <laughs> of color now, but back in the day, there were none. <laughs> there were, it wasn't a thing. And I just accepted that. And I accepted my proximity to whiteness as, as a privilege, as, as inevitable. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a subtle th cultural thing that, that has shifted with Fox news and, you know, all these developments into more of an overt white supremacy. 
But like when in in one of the each each chapter in my book has starts with a flashback, and one of the flashbacks is a is a meeting of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship when I was in college. I was leading worship for that chapter, and a vineyard pastor had visited. Oh, yeah, not the vineyard. Yeah, we 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 threw the the those folks a bone like once a year just to say, well, they're Christians too. And he came up to me because <laughs> we didn't we didn't do the whole barking and um, flopping around kind of thing. Um, uh, barking that's what people that's what you called it barking speaking in tongues being slain in the spirit i heard barking you know i visited one of those churches and i distinctly heard barking so that's what stuck (laughs) that's the best description because i used to go to one of those holy roll and let's shout in tongues and like be a little much it felt like watching it felt like watching a richard simmons workout video um with barking oh completely Yeah. yeah Lots of jumping That's and dancing and, and I heard barking. I, I distinctly remember that. Like, ar, ar, I believe ar. you. I believe you. Anyway, the pastor pulls me aside <laughs> and he's, and he says, you young man, you know, you, you have the gift of worship. And I know this because I saw an angel of worship on your head as you were, as you were performing, doing your thing. And I was like, on my head. So in the book, I, I know I make I do a little jokey thing. I was like, you know, is it sitting on my head? Is it straddling my shoulders? Is, and then I realized I'm picturing a white angel. Just the default. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't picturing an Asian angel or a black angel or a Hispanic angel or you know. I was, I was like, the default in our head is is white folks. I'm not gonna lie. When I when I the first pictured that, right? that's what I pictured as Me well. Too. It's it's just it's so ingrained in us to center whiteness. You know we. You know, if we if you believe the Bible, it would probably well, I don't know, a, a dark skinned uh, Middle Eastern looking person <laughs> would be how they mm-hmm. pictured angels. Um, you know, we're picturing like white robes and blonde hair and blue eyes and some harp things, little liars. So, um, and I realized, yeah, even to this day, my my mind is still decolonizing from like a white centered view. And and I don't say I don't mean to say anything negative about white people or white identity. It's just the majority culture, and it's sort of what's ingrained in in everyone who lives in this country. You know, if we were in Japan, uh, it would be a Japanese identity because Japan sucks when it comes right. to like minority people and and you know people who aren't Japanese. You know, and every country that has a very homogenous population has to deal with their identities of the in groups and out groups. You know. So America is not that different in that way, but America is different in the, you know, just sheer amount of diversity. So we don't necessarily center non-white folks in, in American culture. And then evangelical culture, I think, just takes that to the next level. And it's just like, yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. But they sanctify it and just call it like calling. Yeah. 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 See, that's, that's what I saw. You know, students saw me as a foreigner, you know, when they first would meet me and they expected me to have an accent. Um, and I, you know, in many cases, my family has been here longer than theirs, but, uh, I don't look like I, I'm a fourth generation American. So yeah, yeah. I still get asked if you know, speak, I speak English. I say I teach English. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's partly being in America, but it's also, I think evangelical culture and especially today, as you know, it's really, really pushing the whole white centeredness. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were at the at the school, actually, uh, this is the question because I used to be a high school teacher for a little bit when I was teaching music, and there's always just certain times when students would say just the most wild things, and you're not allowed to react to them <laughs> because, like, this is the teaching moment. I want do you, what do you have a wild moment? Yeah, 
from the classroom yeah, that's just stuck with you and be like, oh my there's god, so many. You can't be fucking serious. Yeah, no, there's so many. There, uh, if you go to my website, I tell a story. I think I put it in the book. It, um, first day of class, this kid. I'm I'm going through the syllabus. And I get to the part when then we're going to write two argument papers and I start talking about my philosophy of argumentation and how we're going to do that. And this kid shoots his hand up in the middle, in the front row, middle of the front row. And he's like, I, oh, I already know what I want to write about for the argument. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay. He's like, I'm going to write a paper that proves that all Mexican people are lazy. Oh my. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm speechless. So I'm like, and I look in the back, in the back of the ro- back two rows, there's two young Latino women looking horrified. And typically at APU, this stuff happens and nothing gets dealt with. You know, the teacher might say, oh, that's interesting and move on. But I was like, fuck this. And mm-hmm. I just, I ripped this kid. I was like, you can't write that paper in this class. It's not academically sound. It's racist. It's, it's overgeneralized. And I was like, launched into my little thing about argumentation and logic and what what was troubling though beyond that was the two white guys on either side of him when he said it were like nodding their heads like yeah yeah you know and so I'm like <gasps> oh my no oh no so weirdly that kid ended up being one of my biggest supporters <laughs> after we went back and forth for a whole semester okay. just fighting it out um i thought he was evil it turned out he was misinformed a young kid trying out his thoughts, just, you know, feeling very privileged. There's, there's this, yeah. And there's the, the white fear of being wrong. Yeah. Like, I really do think this is like a thing that's like inherently like built into whiteness, especially for white men and people who are socialized to be mm-hmm. men. It's this fear that if I'm wrong, I'm a, I'm not only wrong, I'm a bad person. If I admit that I've been wrong about this, that means that I've been racist and I'm a bad person. <laughs> And so because of that, like they have this inability to even engage with it because they're so afraid of being bad because if they're bad, they're going to go to hell. Yeah. And like, that's, I think that's the ultimate thing is like they're, because they believe in a God who would kill his own son, I've got to be perfect. Therefore, as my father in heaven is perfect. Yeah. And it just, it, and like the, the glory of being wrong is being right so quickly after. Yeah. And to this kid's credit, you know, he took, like, I remember thinking, man, if, if on the first day of class, my professor, like, kind of went, went at me, came at me, I'd be destroyed. Oh, I'm out. I'd be, I wouldn't say another thing the rest of the semester. You wouldn't, you wouldn't see my face again. No. I, would, I, would, I would transfer right? out or drop the but class. But this kid, he was, he was very thoughtful. He was like, it surprised me. And it, and it humbled me, too, because I assumed the worst of him, that he was just going to be like, well, fuck you. And, and, you know, but, like, he was like. He, he, he was thoughtful. He's like, okay, well, I'll think about it. And he did. Um, he didn't like it, obviously, <laughs> to your point. It, it was, it was not fun, but he, like I said, it's, it's it, later in the book, he ends up being like one of my most outspoken supporters. Um, even though he didn't agree with, we didn't agree on a lot. Um, for me, the way forward is always relationship. If, if, if I, if I can come to you in good faith and say, I see the humanity in you and you can see the humanity in me, we can talk, you know, we can hash it out. We can even, you know, argue vociferously. <laughs> we can, we can, but it's in the context of some of a trusting relation, a safe space, if you will. Mm. And so, but you know, yeah. there weren't that many of those. <laughs> Most of them were just mm-hmm. the intractable, you know, shut up. That's not what Rush Limbaugh says, or, you know, that's not what, you know, the, I, it was mostly that. 
But I did always look for the opportunity to to build uh, something with someone who didn't agree, with someone who I felt was being very hateful and sort of gently, if not sternly, pointed out to say, look, you know, you're saying this. This person might feel this way if they heard that. So, you know, if you're a Christian and you care about this person, you know, how does your faith inform your opinion about the world and and these people? And yeah, there's a few. If you're a Christian, that's my favorite. I'm just like, I'm just like, it's like, that's the, and that's the definition that everyone seems to be struggling with. Well, yeah, it's and that, that's also one of the reasons I don't even identify as a Christian anymore because I'm just like, yeah, what is that? There's a hundred thousand billion ways yeah. to apparently do and not do Christianity. Yeah. So, like, forgive me, yeah, for not strongly identifying with it anymore. Yeah, because who, who knows what what <laughs> if you're talking to someone and you say you're a Christian, who knows what's in their head? You know, like. It could be Ned Flanders, or it could be, you know, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> it, could be, it could be a grand wizard of the KKK. You know, these are all Christians, you know. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, yeah, I didn't want it. I didn't want any part of that. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> um, for yourself now, do you engage in, the, in any sort of spiritual practices on your own? Like that, like beyond like simple Christianity, or has it kind of just been, you know, finding life much more appealing? Mostly finding life more appealing. I think I will eventually but i think these last well we're going on like 15 20 years now where i haven't attended church i can't wait to not attend church for 20 years <laughs> it's to this day i was just talking to some people over the weekend i had a book launch and a bunch of the deconstruction folks came out and i was saying uh i every sunday i wake up happy because i don't have to go to church it's that that oh that God. part never leaves <laughs> net like oh oh yeah. Like this past Sunday, I woke up at 9 a.m. Yep. on my yep. own. I went to the gym. I um, came home and I cooked breakfast. I wrote in my journal. I took my dog to the artist market. I had a drink with some friends. And then I came home and I smoked a joint while talking to my roommate. That is a beautiful day. And I would have, like, if it were, you know, 10 years ago, I would be up at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. to go set up in this gymnasium set like set up the professional sound equipment to play a 20 minute set of music. Someone will talk for 15 and then we're going to tear it down again for the next half an hour, hour and a half. And then it's one o'clock and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's <clears throat> cuts a huge chunk of your day. Like, and then I had kids when I was still going to church. Well, they were real little. And so you had to get them out of bed, you got to get them dressed and fed and, get them to the checked into the Sunday school thing on time and then get to the search. Yeah. So one of my, one of the reasons I even got to publish a book is I started a blog and the the most popular blog post was, I think it's titled like follow the sex and waffles out of church. So it's just like, I'd rather. Yes. Now the sex didn't always happen, but it was potentially happening. (laughs) Ding, ding. Yeah. That's, There's a potential for afternoon delight where there was none. Yeah, morning, afternoon, evening. Um, it's it's but it's it's this, it's not just sex. It's just anything pleasurable, anything life enriching, <laughs> anything life affirming. Instead of sitting there, like I hate, I hate, I liked church. I liked the music. I liked worship. I liked it. I hated sermons. I never could get with the sermons. Even when I was a kid, I was sort of like already like critiquing yeah. sermons. Like well, that doesn't make sense, or that's not completely right, or. That's contradictory. So, yeah. So that thrill never leaves. <laughs> you can get up every Sunday. and But other than that, I don't, I don't think about the loss of the faith as much. So to your, to your question, 
I haven't been seeking like spiritual practice as, as in like a routine every week or every day thing. Mm-hmm. Other than to say I I seek out connection and I seek out beauty and truth mm-hmm. every day. And it's been like a conscious life of finding connect- meaningful connections with people and community. Um, you know, playing music is for me very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I love hiking. Yes. And my, my, my wife and I are avid like fly fishers, which is kind of like a spiritual Zen practice. Cool. So just standing, yeah. standing in the mountains in a forest and the river casting for trout is to me a spiritual practice. Cooking, yes. I, I, you know, cooking food for people. I really like cooking. And so mm-hmm. when I became a stay at home dad, I became the de facto family cook because I was like, well, you know, we're not going to do this oh. patriarchal crap where, you know, I make my wife work and still come home and serve me. <laughs> so I started doing the laundry and the dishes and, and, and I really got into cooking. You know, I, and then through YouTube and, you know, cookbooks have been really mm-hmm. developing. I'm not a chef, <laughs> but I really enjoy I love but food. But you're becoming a home chef, baby. Yeah, you know, I've got some pretty good signature, signature dishes. And the, the care and, and detail of, of preparing food based on different cultures and different regions of the world to me is a spiritual practice so mm-hmm. i find spiritual practice in the simple things in life i think is my silly cliche answer yeah no it's not silly and it's not cliche you're talking about living a conscious life where you are finding for, for a term i would use you're finding god in everything yeah. you're finding presence of mind you're finding a peaceful experience yeah. and noting it yeah and being so present to the experience that it becomes all that shit that you were trying to seek through your penance. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well put. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, it's not it's not every second of every day, but I do try to to, to remind myself as often as I can. I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to. I'm, I live a life of privilege. Um, you know, I wasn't born in a war torn place. I, I, you know, so far health has been okay. You know, like. I look at suffering around the world and I'm always mindful. Um, I'm like even mm-hmm. Christmas, which I, you know, I still love Christmas, but I remember one year we were, we were gathering at my parents' house and we had just gone to church. We came home to have our big Christmas Sunday. Yeah. It happened to be on a Sunday because um, we had come home from, Oh, maybe it wasn't. We came home from church and looked across the street and I saw, we saw the neighbors that live across from my parents all gathering in their front yard. And, we walked over to say Merry Christmas and I immediately realized they were all crying. The mother had just passed away like hours, a few hours before. And, and I was thinking, man, for them, Christmas morning is going to be a sad day of remembrance. And I just remember thinking, you know, not just them, but if you have the privilege to gather with your family and friends and share a meal, celebrate a holiday or a birthday or an anniversary, yeah, you you got to be mindful of how fortunate you are in that moment because somewhere else someone's life is terrible and and, and it's awful. And so I, I, I try to keep that in mind too. So if you're going to party and celebrate, do it mindfully and and, and do it well. <laughs> go, go, yeah. go all out. Mm. Damn, I'm really thankful for you, Scott. I think you're really cool. Oh, I think I your book I think is you're cool, man. This is I'm I'm just thrilled I'm talking to Kevin Garcia. It's like woohoo. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I I uh I'm just a human who likes to talk to other people and I I don't know. Thank you. 
I always close every interview by asking everybody the same five questions. It's not really rapid yeah, yeah. fire, but it's called just one thing five yeah, times. Yeah, these are hard. So, these are hard. So, okay. I'm gonna, you ready? Ready. Yeah, you got it. Just one thing. Just okay. one thing. All right. What's one thing that you like about yourself? That's a hard one. Okay. Um, just one. I know there's so many things to adore. Well, it's also like, it's, I don't like to say nice things about myself. That's something I'm working on. And um, uh, that's what I'm here for then. <laughs> I, listening. I think I listen well, whether it's music, conversation, subtext, <laughs> context. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a observant. Yeah. What's one thing that you're very proud of or just regular proud of? Finding community that builds me, me up and each other up. That's, that's, I feel like I'm, I feel very grateful, but I'm also proud of them and, and our relationship with each other. What's one thing that pisses you off or is a pet peeve? <laughs> oh, so many things, I guess overall. <laughs> Again, just one, you know, just one. <laughs> so I'll give it like a blanket thing. Um, hatred mm-hmm. based purely on false assumptions and un- misunderstandings and, and laziness. So like, yeah. Oh my God. That's another thing. Hate is so fucking lazy. Right? It's like my favorite question to ask people who say racist shit. I'm just like, how do your black friends feel about that? If they have black friends. And it's just yeah. like, oh, boo, boo. <laughs> I'm just like, well, have you said this in front of them? Have you yeah. asked them? Yeah. I love throwing that at people because anytime it's either you don't have a friend in that, that group. Right. Like I had to ask my mom, I'm just like, mom have you ever thought about how i might feel about the things that you say as a gay person anyways this is not about me about you uh this is your five things uh what's one thing you're committed to human thriving i guess is overall like the thing like i i want everyone to have a shot at you know so so agency to have agency over their own life so whatever art i create or or consume um whatever communities I'm involved with, I, you know, that's sort of like the vibe, the, the direction that we want to go in. So mm. what's one thing that you want to do before you die? Ooh, well, I wrote a book that, w- that would have been the thing. Um, so it's, Check. so I don't want to die now necessarily, but, uh, I feel good. Nice. I feel better about it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what else? You ain't oh. got any, any other bucket list items? <sighs> yeah, man. Probably not necessarily. Like I think I used to have a list of bucket listing, but now can I kind of to our to our earlier point? It's just take each day as an adventure and and appreciate the the nuances of the moment that you're in. And to me, as I get older, and um, like I just learned yesterday that a, a old friend in high school had passed away. I hadn't kept in touch with him, but it's just like, oof, getting to that age where people health and is in decline and people are starting to pass away. It's like, no, nah, I, I will, I will cherish every moment that I, I can and wherever I am. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's beauty in, in all the things. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing is you want to hang out with me at least once and we can go eat delicious food. And, uh, I don't know. Let's get matching tattoos. Let's get friendship tattoos. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in count me in. Let's let's do Deal. it. See that okay. The, <laughs> add that to my bucket list then. <laughs> yes, Scott. How do people find your shit on the internet? Where can they buy your book, etc.? How can they hire you and give you money for things? Yeah, I have a website, rscottokamoto.com. 
Yeah, it's sort of the hub. Uh, the book's everywhere. And, and I, you know, Amazon's evil. Unfortunately, they rule the publishing, so you can buy it there. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble and Good re- or, or uh, Bookshop.org. It's a great one. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I have a, ch- a Chapel Probation podcast. You can find me where all the podcasts are found. Um, it's Chapel Probation. Yeah. Oh my God! Yes. Did you go to? Did title. you go to Christian school, Kevin? Did you go to? I was fortunate enough to have avoided going to a Christian school, but yeah, I was it. involved in a Pentecostal church nearly the entire time I was there. Ooh, so it was like I know that can be worse. That can be. Did just, I really escape bad. anything? No, I wasn't in a varsity at a secular school, so I didn't even. Yeah. Anyway, chapel probation. It, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. my way to tell all the stories that wouldn't fit in the book initially, and then it expanded to. Yeah. Because it was just at APU the first season, and then I got all these messages from all over the country, like I want to tell my story of these schools, and so yeah, it's a it, we any if anyone wants to has horror stories to talk about and joke about, come on, get, let me know. Come on, Chapel Probation just started my third season, got released today with Chrissy Stroop, so <gasps> um, yeah, so that's that's me. Cool. Well, I've loved this. This has been very fun. Let's do it again. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Ken. That was my conversation with R. Scott Akimoto. If you want to find them, go to their Instagram page, which is their name, R. S. Akimoto. So instead of uh, R. Scott, it's just R. S. Akimoto. And you can also go to their website, which is rscottakimoto.com. You can also Google Asian American apostate. All the links are going to be in the show notes. So please do not worry if you can't spell, because I know that my, you know, I have a hard time spelling too. Anyways. My friend, I loved being, I love, this was good. Thank you for being on the show with me. Thank you for sharing your story. What a treat, what a dream. Once again, that does it for another episode of A Tiny Revolution. And if you want to rate the show, review the show, leave it a five-star review, it really would be super duper helpful. Once again, go buy Scott's book, Asian American Apostate. And also while you're at it, you can pre-order my book, What Makes You Bloom, which is going to be available on January 9th everywhere. I'm also doing some live workshops like uh, at uh, the Q Christian Fellowship Conference on January 9th. So if you're, you know, if you haven't bought your tickets for that and you want to get out to Albuquerque, New Mexico at the top of the year, it's going to be a fabulous time. You can also use the, I don't know if the offer code still works, but Tiny Revolution to take a little bit off of your ticket prices. Please follow me across the internet at the Kevin Garcia. And I think that'll do it for me. So I love you. Make sure you take your meds. Make sure you call your person. Make sure you've been shaking your ass a little bit. It's the holiday season. People are getting real lonely and sad out there. If you need help, please reach out to a friend. Please reach out to a hotline. Please reach out to somebody because you do not need to go through this holiday season alone. You do not need to deal with your sorrow by yourself. I love you and you are never alone and you are never forgotten. Okay? Deep breaths. I love you. We'll see you next week. Um, possibly it's Christmas. I don't. I, I think my editor's taking a week off. I might take a week off too, but if not, I'll see you in the new year. I love you. See you soon. Bye-bye.